Yo, yo, it's Diggsy's Baby, the podcast, episode number two. He's back. CM Punk is back in professional wrestling. Friday night at AEW Rampage at a sold-out United Center in Chicago, Illinois, CM Punk made his debut for the first time in seven years. Roughly about 2,600 days, everybody has been sitting around with bated breath, waiting for CM Punk to make his return. There's been countless interviews, that long interview he had at StarCast two years ago, him appearing on WWE Backstage, on Fox Sports. Everybody thought that would help open the door for him to come back to WWE. But let's be honest here, after what we've seen All Elite Wrestling has been building the past few years. We all knew where CM Punk should land, and that's at All Elite Wrestling. CM Punk is All Elite, and what a debut it was. Time and time again, we have people in pro wrestling or quote-unquote sports entertainment, as WWE likes to call it, They always try to swerve us. They want us to be surprised. They try to throw a swerve our way, curveballs, this, that, the other. But Tony Khan, CM Punk, and AEW did the complete opposite. They never came out and directly said that, hey, CM Punk is going to be debuting August 20th, 2021 on AEW Rampage. But they hinted to it. The first hint was when they announced a few weeks ago that Rampage will be at the United Center in Chicago. That was the first hint. Everybody said if he's going to debut, that's the place he should debut. Then on that same episode of Dynamite, Darby Allen came out and he was talking about being the best in the world. I want to face the best in the world. And we all know that CM Punk's moniker is he is the best in the world. So the seeds were planted for the past few weeks now. Even going back months, there were rumors that CM Punk was signing with AEW. During the week, Tony Khan had multiple multiple interviews where they were talking to him, asking him questions, and he flat out came out and said that, hey, I'm not in the business of disappointing my fan base. I don't want to disappoint the fans. What we have going on Friday night will change the landscape of professional wrestling, and it will bring fans back into professional wrestling, and it did. And honestly, the debut CM Punk made sent shockwaves across professional wrestling, and the sports world. If you woke up on Saturday morning and you turned on your phone, you put opened your Instagram, Twitter, what have you, Bleacher Report, it was all over the place. ESPN, Sports Center, Bleacher Report, Yahoo Sports, Deadspin, everybody, everybody had CM Punk's debut. And honestly, it was amazing. I screamed at the top of my lungs like a little kid when he debuted Friday night. And it was done beautifully. You know, CM Punk came out. They did it right at the start of Rampage. They didn't make you wait the whole hour to watch the whole show. The show started. They hyped the matches for the night. They hit the commentators and boom, cult of personality hit. CM Punk came out and the crowd popped. When I say that it was the loudest crowd pop I've seen in I don't know how long, honestly, probably going back to WrestleMania 30 when Daniel Bryan won the championship or 
leading up to WrestleMania 30 with the yes chant and the yes movement and all the fans converging on the ring. It was the loudest pop of professional wrestling since then. And of course, it's in Chicago, CM Punk's hometown. Everybody was happy to see him. He took a good time to get to the ring. He talked to some fans. He crowd surfed. It was amazing. And when he got in the ring, we got classic Punk. He delivered a great promo and he was honest. He said that Good news, bad news. The bad news, we're not going to be able to get to everything today. But the good news is I'm not going anywhere. I have time. And after Rampage, they did an interview with Tony Khan and CM Punk. And both of them said they didn't want to... Uh, They didn't want to come out and say how long he signed for, how much he signed for, which, you know, CM Punk got the bag. Definitely. But they said that he's not a part-time wrestler. He's a full-time wrestler. And he's here long term. So that's great. It's not going to be CM Punk showing up four or five times a, a year like Brock Lesnar or The Undertaker. CM Punk will be on Dynamite, Rampage, and the pay-per-views pretty much every week. I'm sure he'll get time off. You know, like we saw this week, Chris Jericho had the day off, but CM Punk is here to stay. And my favorite part of the promo, obviously, once he got down and he sat Indian style in the big, in the middle of the ring, just like he did when he delivered the pipe bomb promo back in 2011, the summer of Punk 2011, when he was wrestling John Cena at Money in the Bank for the WWE Championship and his contract was expiring. He said he was going to leave. He sat down in the ring, Indian style, and he said that when he left, Ring of Honor back in 2005, it was very emotional, and he feels like on that day, he left professional wrestling. Then he said, today, August 20th, 2021, I'm back, and he released a statement at the end of the show, pretty much the same statement that MJ did when he came back from playing baseball. It just said, I'm back, and that's great, and honestly, what CM Punk is trying to say is that the years he spent with WWE wasn't pro wrestling, and that's not a diss. WWE will come out and say that it's not pro wrestling. Vince McMahon will come out. Triple H will come out and they'll say it's not pro wrestling. It's sports entertainment. Look at an interview uh, that Randy Orton had this weekend with Boston Sports. He said that he's a sport entertainer. WWE looks at itself as sports entertainment. AEW is pro wrestling. And honestly, when pro wrestling is done good, it doesn't get any better. There's nothing better than good pro wrestling. And let's be honest, AEW has been giving us good pro wrestling for the last two and a half years. And I'm excited, man. This is going to be an amazing time in the pro wrestling world. Now, just think about this, right? CM Punk shirt went on sale after Rampage Friday night. He sold the most shirts in 24 hours ever at ProWrestlingTees.com. The most shirts ever in 24 hours. And on top of that, now the tickets for All Out, where CM Punk will make his debut September 5th against Darby Allin live on pay-per-view. The tickets, the get-in tickets, the get-in price, just a step foot in the door at All Elite at the Now Arena outside of Chicago right now are going for $350. That is the highest get-in price for a U.S. wrestling event of all time. So you know what? If you want to know if CM Punk moves the needle in professional wrestling, 
There's your two answers. The most shirts sold ever in a 24-hour period on ProWrestlingTees.com. The highest getting price for a U.S. wrestling event of all time. And that's amazing. And honestly, he said after the show, Tony Khan said after the show that him... Tony Khan and CM Punk have been talking for a year and a half. So this has been in the works for a very long time. And CM Punk said all along that he wanted to debut in front of a live crowd. And he's the one that talked Tony Khan into having Rampage at the United Center, which holds about 23,000 people. It was sold out. You saw the pop that he got. And let's be honest. Thank God CM Punk debuted in front of a live crowd because if he debuted in front of the few thousand they had down at Daily Place in Jacksonville during the pandemic, it wouldn't have hit as hard as it hit Friday night. But All Out is going to be amazing. CM Punk's first match in seven years. And honestly, looking back now, I guarantee you that all elite wrestling wishes they had it at a bigger venue because the now arena where it will be held, where All Out will be held, only holds about eleven to 12,000 people. And honestly, AEW is definitely going to have to step up to larger size arenas because the um, demand is getting through the roof. And just wait, it's going to get better because Daniel Bryan is going to debut in September. Ric Flair is rumored to be coming in. He probably will manage Andrade El Idolo or maybe managed someone to go up against Andrade, and the latest breaking news to come out on Saturday, AEW and Bray Wyatt have a handshake deal, and he'll be signing with AEW when his 90-day non-compete WWE clause expires on October 29th, and guess what's on November 5th, six days, November 5th or 6th, six days after that, full gear, AEW full gear, AEW's fall pay-per-view, and that will be the perfect time for Bray Wyatt to debut. And just think of the possibilities that, you know, let's step away from Punk for a second. Think of the possibilities that Bray Wyatt can bring to AEW. You know, let's say he feuds with the Dark Order or he joins the Dark Order or think about him teaming up with Malachi Black. And I love the way AEW is going about things where pretty much every single wrestler on the roster is in a faction or a group and it's mimicking what they do over in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And it's amazing. So Daniel Bryan's coming, Ric Flair's coming, Bray Wyatt's coming, but Those move the needle, but they don't move the needle as much as CM Punk. CM Punk has been the hottest wrestling free agent on the market for the last seven years. There have been countless and countless fans waiting for him to come back and return. He did that Friday night, and we're all excited here in the pro wrestling world. And he had grown men crying. Now, that's a little too much. If you ask me, you know, this is entertainment. We enjoy it. It brings us back to our childhood. Most of us, we grew up big wrestling fans. I grew up in the 90s, the Attitude Era, the Monday Night Wars. It was when wrestling was at its peak in the late 90s. This guy was a grown man. He's probably around the same age as me. He was literally crying when he saw CM Punk come out. And that's what CM Punk does. Who knows? Maybe the guy is straight edge like CM Punk or maybe he's in recovery and being straight edge like CM Punk helped him get through difficult times in his life. But like I said earlier, when pro wrestling is done right, there ain't 
nothing better. And it was done right. Friday night, CM Punk is all elite. Well, it was a great weekend for pro wrestling fans because not only did we have a great episode of Rampage Friday night and the big news about CM Punk coming back to All Elite Wrestling, but Saturday night was SummerSlam, the biggest party of the summer from Las Vegas, Nevada at Allegiant Stadium. And I don't know, it was hot, it was cold, and it was it was all right. Like, honestly, they had to put on a good show after what All Elite Wrestling did Friday night. And let's be honest, it was okay. There was a few good matches, but there was a lot of bad matches and a lot of head-scratching mistakes. And the big mistake that I want to get to right off the bat, and there was a lot of great things. Reigns and Cena had a wonderful main event. It was a great, great match after that, Brock Lesnar came back. We're getting a babyface Brock Lesnar against Reigns. The whole angle with Paul Heyman being his former advocate and now special counsel to Reigns. We'll get to that. Rollins, Edge had a great match. We'll talk about that. But I want to get to the bad first. The one thing that ha- has me scratching my head that pisses me off is what happened with Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair. Now, Becky Lynch came back. She made her debut. Great. I love Becky Lynch. She's amazing. The man, she's a great wrestler. But what happened in that match was despicable. Okay. Becky Lynch came out. First and foremost, Bianca Belair. Sasha Banks has been out for a couple of weeks. WWE has known that Sasha Banks wasn't going to be at SummerSlam for at least over a week now. So they should have announced something. But right before the match, the announcer gets on the horn. He says, Sasha Banks is unable to compete tonight. And out comes Carmella. So it looks like we're getting Bianca Belair versus Carmella. Then Becky Lynch's music hits. She gets a huge pop. The stadium goes crazy. It was a great moment. Becky Lynch is back after giving birth to her child with Seth Rollins. We haven't seen her in a WWE ring since after WrestleMania last year when she gave up the championship. But she came out. Great pop. She gets to the ring and... Instead of Carmella versus Bianca, we're going to get Becky Lynch versus Bianca, where right there, that lies the problem, okay? They very easily could have made that a triple threat, Carmella, Bianca, Becky, and save face for the person who was going to lose the match. But what happened? They made it Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair, so everyone's sitting there, great, These two people can go. These two wrestlers can go. We're going to get a classic match. This is going to be fantastic. Boom. Bell hits. 26 seconds later, Becky squashes Bianca Belair. Are you kidding me? You got to be kidding me with that. Why couldn't they, like I said, make the match a triple threat? Let Carmella take the pin if they wanted to give Becky the strap. All the work since WrestleMania to build Bianca Belair. Great matches against Bailey. The great match against Sasha at WrestleMania. That main evented WrestleMania. Bianca Belair main evented WrestleMania four months ago. And then Becky Lynch comes out and squashes her in 26 seconds. 
You got to be kidding me. That is ridiculous. You completely destroyed Bianca Belair's credibility that she's built up over the past four months as SmackDown Women's Champion. Completely destroyed it. And I understand you want Becky to hold the championship. Now, Charlotte won later on in the evening. So now the two champs are Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, the two most name recognizable female superstars in WWE. I understand that, but you got to go about it a different way. Like, come on. Now, when Bianca Belair comes back to look for her rematch against Becky Lynch, who's going to take it serious that she's going to actually going to be able to beat Becky Lynch? Now, I understand what they're doing. Bianca said after the match, after SummerSlam was over, I wasn't ready. I prepared for Sasha Banks, but come on, 26 seconds? You could have gave us at least a seven, eight minute match. 26 seconds or, or like I said, have Carmella make it a triple threat. Boom. Hit the bell. You wanted it to be a quick squash match? Boom. Hit the bell. Becky takes Bianca Be Belair, throw her over the ropes. Hits Carmella with the chokeslam, whatever she did to Bianca. One, two, three, 30 seconds over. Becky's the champ. Bianca got blindsided. She didn't realize she didn't take the pin, but in to have Becky Lynch dominate Bianca Belair like that was ludicrous. And all through the night, WWE was playing the hits. Charlotte wins. So Nikki A.S.H., her run as the Raw Woman Champion is over. Who knows if she'll ever get back to that. You know, Charlotte as champion, th there's no one fresh to step up to her. At the feud that we would want to see, Becky versus Charlotte, they're on two separate brands. And... Honestly, the women's division on Monday nights, that's not going to be interesting anymore. And, you know, Raw hasn't been interesting in months. So I guess that's the standard over there. But like I said, WWE plays, played the hits. They gave the fans what they wanted, I feel like. You got All K Bro winning the tag team titles. You got Damian Priest winning the U.S. championship. Now, Edge and Seth Rollins, they put on a great match. But even that has me questioning, was that the right finish? Now, do they have the idea that Edge is going to get a run with a championship, with one of the heavy ch heavyweight championships in the next you know, year or so, and he needed the rub to beat Seth Rollins. But now Rollins, man, like he was saying that he wanted to go up against Reigns. We know that's not going to happen because Brock debuted. So we're going to get Brock versus Reigns very shortly. But where does that leave Seth Rollins? Where does that leave Finn Balor, where you just brought him back from NXT? He said he was waiting in the wings to pick up the scraps and face whoever won the Universal Championship match. Now you got Brock in the way. What Finn, what's Finn Balor going to do? Is Finn Balor going to challenge him at Extreme Rules and you're going to squash Finn Balor just to wait to get the Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series or Crown Jewel? That's probably what they'll do, but who knows? But Edge versus Seth Rollins was a good match. The finish has me scratching my head a little bit. I'm okay with it. It's not as it's nowhere near as bad as Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair, but. I'm okay with it. And Roman Reigns versus John Cena, they put on a stellar match to end the show. The timing with the near falls was great. It kept the fans on the edge of their seat. Honestly, watching that match, you, match, you had no clue who was going to win. You kind of had a clue in the back of your head 
after the promo Friday night at SmackDown when Reigns said he would leave WWE if Cena beat him and Cena saying that he's going back to film more movies. I'll see you at WrestleMania in Dallas in April. You knew Cena wasn't going to stick around. You're not going to take the Universal Championship and not see it again until WrestleMania. So you knew in the back of your mind that Reigns would win, but how would he win? Would Big E come in and cash in the Money in the Bank contract? That didn't happen, but it was a great match. Reigns and Cena told a great story. Reigns looks like a dominant champion, and he is. He's held the title for over a year now. He's beat everybody that came along the way. Edge, Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, Jay Uso, John Cena, Drew McIntyre, anybody that stepped in his way, he's beat. And Reigns is the best thing going right now on WWE programming. He said he is WWE. He is WWE. If they didn't have Reigns, they would be in trouble right now because Reigns is holding it together over there at WWE. So the match ends. Reigns is celebrating in the ring. Boom. The Beast Incarnate's music hits and out comes Brock Lesnar with the brand new look. He's got the beard. He's got the ponytail. He's in street clothes. And I'm looking forward to this. Now, I know we've seen Reigns versus Brock countless times and Brock has dominated Reigns in the past. But this is a different feud we're going to see now because Brock is playing the babyface. Roman is playing the heel, and like I said earlier, the whole thing with Paul Heyman being in the mix, who knows what's going to happen. Paul Heyman used to be the advocate for Brock Lesnar. Now he's the special counsel for the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. Who knows? Does Paul Heyman turn on Roman Reigns and aligns himself with Brock Lesnar? That's one route they could go, which I don't think they will because... You know, that's a face heel turn. You don't you, you want to keep Reigns where he is right now. Reigns is doing great things. You want to keep him where he is. But we got a baby face Brock. Brock's going to have to talk for himself on the mic. And it's going to be interesting. And, you know, we'll see. Are they going to make Reigns even stronger and have him steam throw steam roll through Brock Lesnar as well? Who knows? We will find out. And honestly, I feel like it's too early for them to wait for this match at WrestleMania in Dallas. So this match is definitely going to happen in Saudi Arabia or Survivor Series. Now, moving on to the other championship match, Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg. And oh, man, again, we're going to have to watch them fight again. Again, the way they ended the match, Goldberg not being able to continue because of his knee and then Goldberg's son coming into the ring and Lashley, you know, putting Goldberg's son in the submission move. Now we're going to have to see Goldberg versus Lashley again at Survivor Series or Crown Jewel. Same same place where we'll see Reigns versus Brock and Goldberg looked horrible again in his last few matches. He's looked horrible. You think that he would learn. You'd think that he would prepare a little bit more. He didn't. He looked horrible. He couldn't even get Lashley up. He slammed him once. He messed up another slam. He couldn't get him up for the jackhammer. And Goldberg, he's, he's an injury risk to him himself. He landed on his own head when Lashley speared him. And then he nearly threw Bobby Lashley on his head from the top rope. And like I said, it, it was a horrible ending to the match. Makes me want to throw up. 
We're going to get a rematch at Survivor Series or Crown Jewel. And I know Goldberg has two, three matches per year on his contract, the contract that he signed a few years ago. Hopefully, this next match with Lashley, let Lashley completely destroy Goldberg, put him out the pasture, and let's not see Goldberg in a ring again. And honestly, the crowd wasn't happy. The crowd was booing Goldberg like no other, and they were cheering Lashley the whole time. And... Uh, to be honest, I don't blame them because we don't want to see Goldberg anymore. We don't want to see WWE playing the hits, bringing back the part-timers for the big shows. We want to see the young kids. We want to see the excited people. Look what All Elite Wrestling is doing. They're elevating their young stars. And it's exciting. And watching AEW to WWE is honestly orange to apples because it's two completely different programs. And like I said earlier, one's pro wrestling, one's sports entertainment. Now, it was a rough night at Allegiant Stadium last night. Okay. At around 930, there was tweets coming out that the cashless payment systems were down, concession stands stopped, the Wi-Fi was dead, the toilets were overflowing. One user on Twitter said, Allegiant Stadium's a total shit show right now. All systems are down. And when I asked for a water cup so my father-in-law could take his medicine, I was told to drink the bathroom water. Crazy. So WWE can't be happy about that, but what do they do? They announced during the show that they're going back July 4th weekend for money in the bank. And honestly, I feel like that, it, to me, it looks like they want an exclusive deal with Allegiant Stadium so AEW can't run an event there because to have a B pay-per-view, it... Money in the Bank's a B pay-per-view, okay? You got the A pay-per-views, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, WrestleMania, and SummerSlam. Money in the Bank's a B pay-per-view. So it's a desperation move to have a B pay-per-view at a huge stadium that holds 50,000. Or like WWE did last night, once again, inflating the numbers, they said there was 51,000 people in attendance when it was reported that there really wasn't only... There was only 45,000 people in attendance. So honestly, I feel like WWE is in trouble. AEW has the momentum right now. WWE is grasping at straws to try to keep themselves relevant. And things aren't going to change until Triple H takes over the main product. Okay, NXT. And just think about this. News came out a few weeks ago that Adam Cole's contract is going to expire after NXT TakeOver 35. He's gone. Adam Cole's gone. His girlfriend is the AEW Women's Champion, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. You're telling me that Adam Cole's not going to want to go over at AEW? Especially the way that WWE is using the NXT stars. You saw what they did with Karrion Cross, who was the dominant NXT champion. He gets called up to the main roster. He loses his first match to Jeff Hardy. You know that Adam Cole is going to want to face people like Punk, Brian, Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, John Moxley. I'll be very, very surprised if Adam Cole re-signs with WWE after his contract expires. But all in all, it was a great night for professional wrestling. And we got NXT TakeOver tonight to end the weekend. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was a great night. Great week for professional wrestling. And being a wrestling fan right now, today, feels like it did back in the late 90s, 1996. We're getting another, it's not going to be a Monday Night War because they don't have shows on the same night at the same time, but 
We're getting another pro wrestling war and AEW is inching very close to WWE and it's going to be very exciting to watch it unfold over the next few years. There it goes. The New York Yankees are the hottest team in Major League Baseball right now and it's very exciting. Like I said, it feels like 1996 all over again with what's going on in the pro wrestling world. It feels like 1996 all over again with the Yankees because they are on fire. 72 and 52, four games back of the Rays in the AL East. They're first in the wild card spot, two games ahead of the Red Sox and the Oakland A's. They've won nine in a row. 26 and 9 since the All-Star break. That's a .742 winning percentage. 20 games over 500. That's the remarkable thing right here. At one point in the season they were playing 500 ball. They were like 41 and 41. They're 20 games above 500. It's unbelievable and it, it just look who's been the star the last few games. It, it's been a journeyman, Andrew Velasquez, batting 352, a home run, six RBIs, four runs, two steals, and he's playing outstanding defense. And he's playing a lot better defense than Gleyber Torres plays. And to be honest, if he continues this up, I want Velasquez on the postseason roster as a defensive replacement after the seventh inning. That's what I want because he's so much better defensively than Gleyber Torres is. But, you know, just look at on July 25th, the Yankees were nine games back of the Red Sox. They've made up 11 games and are now two games ahead of them. They went 21 and five over that span. The Red Sox, nine and 15. And it's crazy to think that the Yankees were 10 and a half games back of the Red Sox. Back in early June, and now they're four games, only four games out of the AL East, and the AL East is definitely, definitely in play right now. You know, two weeks ago, even maybe a week ago, we thought, let's just get the wild card. Let's get the first wild card spot. Let's have that game in Yankee Stadium, Garrett Hole, Garrett Cole on the bump. Well, we like our chances, but now the division is in play. And honestly, if I'm the Yankees, if I'm Aaron Boone, Brian Cashman, I got my sights on the division because anything can happen in a one-game playoff game. We saw that back in 2015 when the Yankees lost to the Astros when Keiko completely killed it. So if I'm the Yankees, I want that division. And honestly, they only got three games left against Tampa, but it's the last three games of the season at Yankee Stadium. So let's get within a stone's throw. Let's get two games back, one game back going into the last series of the year. And let's take care of business. And honestly, the Yankees have been slugging great, but it's not just the bats. The Yankees have a 2.99 team ERA this month, and it's the best ERA of any month this year. And going back to the Red Sox, how they've fallen, Boston's ERA is the worst out of any team still in playoff contention. So it's a very exciting time right now to be a Yankees fan. The Yankees are playing great baseball and they're firmly entrenched in the playoff race. And honestly, the way it looks right now, we're going to get playoff baseball for the Yankees. Now, let's go back a week and talk about Luke Voigt. 
Okay, Luke Voigt has been playing well. We'll get to that. But a week ago, Luke Voigt came out and said about Anthony Rizzo playing first base and getting the starting job. Luke Voigt said, I was top 10 in the MVP voting last year. I've been a great player for this organization for the last three years. I'm not going down. I want to play. Obviously, I know it's going to be tougher with Rizzo, but I deserve to play just as much as he does. Aaron Boone replied, Luke and I have talked. Bottom line is Luke is going to play a big role for this team moving forward. Now, when I first heard Luke Voigt say that, my initial reaction was, get the fuck out of here. But you know what? Voigt has proved me wrong. Before the Rizzo trade, Voigt was, had a slash line of 241, 328, 370, three home runs, 11 RBIs. Since the, since the Rizzo trade, Voigt is batting 304, an on-base percentage of 360, and he pretty much doubled his slugging percentage. Right now, it's 609, four home runs, 15 RBIs, three walks. Now, Rizzo, since being a Yankee, 249, 354, 487, three home runs, nine RBIs. So, with the bat, Voigt's been better lately. But the one thing that I do want to point out that Rizzo has only struck out four times. Voigt has struck out 15 times since the trade deadline. And Voigt has only two more plate appearances than Rizzo. And like I said, 15 more Ks. So that's why you can't take Rizzo out of the lineup, not to mention his defense. So I like what the Yankees are doing right now in this situation. You're going to put Judge, Stanton, and Gallo out in the outfield. Rizzo at first, Voigt DH. And, you know, you, you want to give Rizzo a rest, put Voigt at first base. But, you know what? Like I said, it, it's like the 96 Yankees all over again. They had two great first basemen, a righty and a lefty, Tino Martinez and Cecil Fielder. And Cecil Fielder played well in the World Series and playoffs. I believe he had three home runs in the 96 playoffs. And we all know what Tino did. So, you know what? There's plenty of room for everybody, you know, especially when the playoffs come, pinch hitters, what have you. So, like I said, when Voight first came out and said that, I was like, get out of here. I don't want to hear it. Rizzo has been the spark we needed. Rizzo has elevated this team, inspired this team. But you know what? Voight spoke his mind and he backed it up. It's one thing to talk. It's one. It's another thing to walk the walk. And honestly, Voigt has has been playing great lately. And you know what? Maybe that's what he needed. He needed a swift kick in the ass, and Anthony Rizzo gave him that kick in the ass. So I'm happy with the lineup right now. I don't want to change a thing. They're playing great ball. Now, the starters have been playing great. And the one guy that really stands out to me is Lewis Hill. He's been pitching phenomenally. He hasn't let up a single run in 15.2 innings pitch, 18 Ks, four walks per nine. And the walks was a big issue for him in the minors. That's the reason why he wasn't getting called up. He used to let up a lot of walks, but all along, Luis Heel has been saying that he's been ready for the majors. So maybe he just needed the big lights to concentrate more. Maybe he was bored in the minors. He's another guy I want on the postseason roster. I want Keel on the postseason roster, even if he just is a middle inning guy, can pitch for an inning or two. Same with Nesta Cortez Jr. Last two starts have been great. Andrew Heaney pitched a gem against the Red Sox. I don't know if I want him on the postseason roster, but we'll see what happens. And 
Jordan Montgomery, he hasn't let up more than two runs since June 15th. Montgomery continues to pitch phenomenally. And Jamison Tyon, since July 6th, nine starts, 8-1, 2.01 ERA, 48 Ks, opposing teams are batting 207 against Tyon. And Cole pitched well in his last start, and we all know come October, Cole will be his dominant self. So the pitching staff has stepped up, the bats have stepped up, and the bullpen, Jonathan Loisega, been dominant the last two weeks, 1.23 ERA, and we all saw what he did against the Red Sox to close out that game, the first game of the doubleheader, when the bases were juiced, he was walking people left and right, he turned on got into a different gear, struck a few guys out, closed the game for the Yankees. Honestly, we know Chapman has been struggling. Green has been iffy. Let this kid have a shot at the closer job right now. Try it out. Try it out right now. What what What, what is it going to hurt? Okay. We're firmly entrenched in the wild card position right now. Try it out. Let's see what the kid got. So Yankees are playing great. 20 games over 500. They are two games up on the Red Sox and the A's. It looks like we got October baseball coming right around the block for the Yankees. But on the other side of town in Queens, the Mets. Oh, what a dumpster fire over in Queens. The Mets, they're 5-15 and 15 in August. Seven games back in the NL East and they're done. Honestly, they're done. I said last week, I think the Mets had a shot. If they did X, Y, Z, they completely didn't do X, Y, Z. They went out west and they look like a dead fish. They're done. They're dead in the water. And honestly, get the owner off Twitter. It's, you know, like this guy just keeps getting himself in trouble. You know, his late tweet, he said, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slug and OPS numbers don't lie. And he's right there. They don't lie. The Mets OPS .660 is second to last in the National League right now, only behind the Pirates. But it just keeps getting worse and worse for the Mets. They just announced that the Grom is going on the 60-day IL. He can't come back until September 15th. And honestly, by then, it's going to be too late. Tell DeGrom, you know, go wherever your off-season home is. Go, you know, enjoy the next two months before, you know, the season ends. Because by the time DeGrom comes back, it's not going to matter. The Mets are going to be out of it. It, it, The Mets need a miracle to happen for them to get back in the uh, NL East race. Because the Braves are playing great right now. The Phillies are playing, okay, they faulted a little bit, but we know they got an easier schedule coming up, and the Mets have completely laid an egg on the West Coast, and the Dodgers, the Dodgers are, the Mets are the Dodgers bitch, because the Dodgers dominate the Mets, the Mets are, uh, Dodgers are 23-4 and four against the Mets in their last 27 games. So the Mets want to honor the Dodgers so much with City Field looking like Ebbets Field and the Jackie Robinson Rotunda. You know what? You like the Dodgers' little brother when it comes to playing baseball on the field. So the Mets, like I said, it need, it's going to be, they're going to need a miracle to make the playoffs. 
They're going to need the Braves to severely start playing bad baseball. Same thing with the Phillies. You got to jump two teams. It's going to be very hard. The Mets are dead in the water. And honestly, come the offseason, you got to fire Rojas. He was their second choice to begin with after what happened with Beltran. He's not getting the job done. Fire Rojas. Get Cohen off Twitter. Bring back Baez. You have Baez and Lindor up the middle. The ground will be healthy. Syndergaard will be healthy. Bring back Stroman. And you know what? Next year, you might be favorites to win the NL East. But this year, you're going home. I hate to say it. But like I said, in the Bronx... The Bronx is on fire right now. The Yankees are the best team in Major League Baseball. And it looks very likely that the Yankees are going to be playing meaningful games in October, hopefully November. All right, everybody, that does it for Yo-Yo. It's Digsy's Baby, the podcast, episode number two. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Check us out on Podbean. Also check us out on Twitter and Instagram. We will see you next week. Yo, yo, it's Digsy's baby.